This is Sean Mandoli, and you're listening to the Hopeland Church Podcast. I hope you encounter God and walk in new levels of freedom as a result of listening to this message. Enjoy. Hopeland Church, Pastor Nick here. I'm excited to be with you all this morning. Uh, I hear that I'm the first guest online. And so that just makes me feel all the feels this morning. But hey, I wanted to jump right into the word this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 25. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read this text. We'll pray. And then I'm going to break this down for us this morning. Sound good? All right, let's jump into it. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We're going to start there. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him for dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Verse 37 and our last verse, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Put it in the chat, go and do likewise. Today, I am preaching on the subject, and here's my title if you're taking notes, and I hope you are taking notes. Here's the title of my message this morning like a good neighbor, like a good neighbor. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for our time together. Lord, I pray that every single person who hears this word is blessed. God, I pray that you would do your best work today. At any time that a person is watching this, God, let them feel your spirit. Let them feel your presence right where they're at, no matter where, location, time. God, have your way in this moment. I pray that we would just, we would not just hear this word, but we would become doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so here's here here's what I want to do to start. I want to take you down memory lane. And now, obviously, when I start telling this story, you'll realize that I'm not even old enough to have gone down this memory lane. But for the sake of the sermon, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you about a chain of events that happened in 1969. Now, this is 20 years before I'm even born, but I felt like the story and the content that I'll share this morning around that timeline will make sense to our word when we get into it. So here's a chain of famous events that occurred in 1969. And that year would be a year that changed the world for good and bad, leaving its mark on history as one of the most culturally defining years ever. So here's some of the events that took place in that year. There was the moon landing. There was the Woodstock Music Festival. If you ever come to my house in my garage, I actually have the Woodstock, that red poster up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all, it's a vibe. It's a whole thing. The other events that took place during that year, Beatles, Abbey Road was released. So, you know, the, the, the picture of the Beatles where they're crossing the crosswalk. Yeah, that album was released in 1969. Some other events that took place in 1969, Cornell University, Willard Straight Hall Takeover, a whole thing. And then a couple other events that took place in 1969, and, and these are really important. These are, I mean, you're going to find that these are probably the most important that I've read so far. Jay-Z, Diddy, Tyler Perry, all born in 1969. Now, obviously, some of those latter events there, you know, you can put them in your timeline of, you know, where they might fall as far as events of the year, wherever you might. But those are some of the events that took place in 1969. But here's another event that occurred in 1969 that I want to call your attention to. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Fred McNeely Rogers or Francois Scarborough Clemens. But in 1969, those two gentlemen on TV put their feet in a kiddie pool together. Now, let that sink in for a moment, because I know you're probably thinking like, well, that's not a big deal. Like it's, it's a kiddie pool, two people putting their feet in the kiddie pool. It's not a big deal. But you have to think of the year in conjunction with the event. In 1969, we were just as a country, as the world, making our way out of segregation. And so Fred McNeely Rogers, a white man, Francis Scarborough Clemens, a black man, put their feet together in a kiddie pool. So why was this so important? Because despite civil, the Civil Rights Act in 1964, pools around the country were still segregated. And so when these two gentlemen put their feet in a pool together, what it meant for the times, it had such an impact. And if you don't know who Fred McNeely Rogers is and why this event had such an impact, Fred McNeely Rogers is better known as Mr. Rogers of Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. And the reason why it was such an impact is because he was huge at the time. A white older gentleman putting his feet in a kiddie pool with a young black man was unheard of at that time. 
But the reason why it happened and why it had to happen for Fred, he thought to himself, for Mr. Rogers, what he felt was this is a sign and a show of solidarity with the black community. But it's also a sign to let people know that racism and the things that were existing in 1969 weren't okay. And what I love about Mr. Rogers is that everything that he did on this show was so strategic. So he knew in that moment exactly what he was doing. And why does that matter to our message today? Because I think it's important for us to understand that regardless of the person to our left and to our right, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what they sound like, regardless how they act or what they might you know, have an affinity for, the reality is that we all have to do our part to ensure that we are being good neighbors to one another. In our text this morning, we read about the Good Samaritan and the Good Samaritan displaying what it truly means to be a good neighbor. And this Good Samaritan is going to be our teacher this morning. Jesus himself uses this parable to teach us what it means to be good neighbors. Now, when we start talking about neighbors, a lot of times we think it's about proximity. A lot of times we, we search and we read this passage and then we start looking around and asking the same questions that were asked in this text. Who is my neighbor? And the reality that Jesus shows us is that being a good neighbor is not just about how you carry yourself. It's not just about the proximity of the person that you're considering your neighbor, but it's about how you treat a person who needs love, compassion, kindness, any person who needs help. I want to give you a definition this morning on what a neighbor actually is. Here's a definition of a neighbor. It's any person in need of one's help or kindness. Another definition of a good neighbor or a neighbor in period is someone who shows compassion. The next definition that I'll give you is that it's it's someone who is sympathetic, uh, sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or mis fortune of others. So being a neighbor is not about the, the, the factual next door neighbor type actual thing that you would consider. It's actually the fact that a person is in need and, and needs help. That makes them your neighbor. That means it's your responsibility to treat them with compassion, to treat them with care, with acceptance, with inclusion, because that's what the kingdom of God is all about. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to teach us what it means to be good neighbors. All right. So today we're talking about being good neighbors. And so I want to share a little bit about how that fits into this sermon series. We've been talking about God's kingdom. And the reality is that in God's kingdom, it's not about ethnicity. It's not about race, but it's about the collective body of Christ who love the Lord, who's doing the will of God. It's God's people. And so being a good neighbor is essentially about how do you carry yourself as an individual? How do you treat others? And so today what I want to do is I want to share points on being a good neighbor. And so here's the first point I want to share. And this is going to be a tough one. So bear with me. Lean in. Don't tune, don't tune us out. Don't turn the TV off, laptop, whatever you're watching on. But here's the first point I want to, I want to give you to being a good neighbor. Love God and love people. Love God and love 
people. Here's what Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28 says. And this is from the text that we read a little earlier. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So I want to tell you this quote and the saying that, you know, the pastor uh, growing up that, that, you know, our family and I used to attend his church. But one of the things that he used to say oftentimes was partial obedience is complete disobedience. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. And I want to share that with you today because I know loving God can be the easiest part of this. Loving people is oftentimes the challenging part. And it goes back to exactly what the lawyer in the text starts to do. He starts to question Jesus about who his neighbor is. And even today, oftentimes in the workplace, as I'm communicating with people, oftentimes people will come up and they'll ask me a question about, you know, how culture is today and how society is. And oftentimes it feels like they're doing a lot of what the lawyer was doing, trying to qualify who their neighbor is, who should they be kind to, who should they love, who should they still care for. And the reality is that our responsibility as believers is to love God and love people. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter their lifestyle. It doesn't matter whether or not their feelings and their worldview and their ideas align with ours in the moment. What we have to do is we have to follow the command to love God and love people. I think what we do today is we oftentimes will we'll, we'll take bits and pieces of that command and take what we want and leave the rest. And so that looks very much like, you know, you know, we love people and we care about people that we have similar ideas and thoughts with. We love people that have the same point of view. We love people who, who have the same style as us. We love the people that we find some sort of affinity or commonality with. But can you love the person who doesn't look like you? Can you love the person who doesn't act like you? Can you love the person from that department at your job that you just have a disdain for? Can you love the person that looks nothing like you, that acts nothing like you? Can you love that person too? Because that is who you are called to love. When Jesus corrects the man about who his neighbor is, in reality, what he was saying, as I shared a bit ago, is that it's not about proximity and it's not even about the other person, but it's about you and how you treat people and whether or not you show compassion and kindness and love and care for others. The other thing that we do again, because we'll take bits and pieces of this command and we'll take what we want and we'll leave the rest. But we say we love God, but we don't love people. And oftentimes, I, I just want to tell you that it, sometimes it might feel easier to, to separate the two. But the reality is that there's a reason why both of these two uh, ideas are linked in scripture and linked in text. Loving God, start there. Get your relationship with God right, but also love people. It's not a separate thing. It's not, oh, I love God, but I don't love his people. If you love God, 
We've got to love one another. We've got to love his people. That's the appropriate balance. The balance is not one or the other. The balance is not give or take. The balance is to do both, love God and love people. Here's what Matthew chapter 22, verse 40 says. It says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Here's what Mark says about it. He says in chapter 12, verse 31, there is no other commandment greater than these. So not there is no greater commandment greater than this, but these, meaning both. It's a package deal. To be a good neighbor, to be a good citizen of God's kingdom, you've got to love God and love people. The next good neighbor tip for you, tip to being a good neighbor and to being a a, a good member of God's kingdom is to meet people where they are. Meet people where they are. In Luke chapter 10, verse 33, here's what I love about this part of the text. It says, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. Speaking about the, the, the man who was beaten and broken, the Samaritan was actually on a journey. The Samaritan was actually traveling to a place that was known to have robbers and thieves and all kind of crazy stuff going on. The Samaritan journeyed purposefully to that place. He went to that place and when he got there, he found the man that I believe his purpose in life was to help. That was a part of his journey. And so I wanna know for you, as you're on your journey, are you missing someone because you're not willing to meet them where they are? Oftentimes, we try to qualify who our neighbor is by whether or not they they have the same ideas as us. But the reality is that we've got to get out of our comfort zone and be willing to travel where other people are, to meet them where they are, and, and live in such a way to where we're not restrained by our comfort zone that we're not we're not we're not kept in our comfort zone keeping us away from doing the things that God wants us to do one of our core values at the Grove Church for our our, our serve team and our volunteers is it's very simple it's it's there you are not here I am very simple but very impactful there you are not here I am and what that means is that it means that we're hypersensitive to new people whether people join our social media whether people walk into our soon to be open doors whenever it is wherever we see new people we are hypersensitive and that's our goal that is one of our values to be hypersensitive to new people and to not expect them to come and seek us out or to come and find us but for us to go where they are for us to get out of our comfort zone and meet people where they are. And that's an important part of being a good citizen of God's kingdom. I think we only take part of the great commission. Yes, we want to preach the gospel. Yes, we are ready to tell someone about Jesus if the time is right. But the part that I think we miss is that we are called to go to all nations. So that means the person that that doesn't look like you, you are called to that person, the space and the area and the neighborhood that doesn't represent where you came from. You are called to go to that 
place. Instead of being a church that waits for people to come into our doors, we have to be the kind of church that is willing to strip ourselves of these four walls, of these comfortable couches, of these comfortable settings, and get into the world where hurting people are and meet them there in an effort to bring them closer to God and his kingdom. We have to meet people where they are. So the next point I want to give you about being a good neighbor, and again, we're talking about God's kingdom. We're talking about diversity in God's kingdom. In order to do that, here's what we need to do. We need to see humanity over identity. Humanity over identity. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 35. Here's what it says, going back to our text from earlier today. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, keep that in mind, by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so here's why I love this part of the text. And here's why uh, this idea of seeing humanity over identity is important. Because in this text, in this story, the, the beauty of it is that there's a reversal of stereotypes. Because the priest and the Levite are traditionally the good guys. These, I mean, this is like the pastor and the worship leader seeing a member of their church beaten and broken on the side of the road and them just passing them by. But here, this, it's, a, it's a reversal of roles. The Samaritan was traditionally a bad guy. And we talk in church a lot about Samaritans and Jews. And we oftentimes will talk about, oh, it's like Crips and Bloods, like they just didn't get along. But let me tell you, the reality of this dynamic of two people is deeper than that even. With Samaritans, Samaritans were pretty much like this, this breed of people was basically taking Jews and and interbreeding them with another group of people. And so that is the reason why there was so much hate against the other, because Samaritans were the bad guys and they oftentimes would compromise in religious matters and, and that's just who they were. But the reality is that in this text that we see here, the Samaritan is the one who is actually helping. He's actually helping. And the dynamic about this relationship is that it's deeper than being Crips and Bloods because you can always change the color of your flag. You can always change, you know, where you live and, and all that great stuff. But the reality for this group is that it was really more like black and white people in the, the 1960s. It was really, that's how the relationship was. It just, Samaritans weren't allowed in certain places. Samaritans were told that they, were, they, they weren't a certain type of people. And so they weren't allowed to mix with Jews. And so that's how deep it is for this group. 
But this Samaritan doesn't see identity. This Samaritan doesn't see the fact that there's a Jewish man. The Samaritan sees that there is a man. He's looking at his humanity. And from there, he made a decision to have compassion on the man. And that is what we have to do as people. If we are going to diversify God's kingdom, the the funny part about it is that we have to stop looking at identity and we have to start looking at humanity and considering every single person that we come across as God's people, because that's who they truly are. By, by identity, Samaritans were considered a despised group. They were a mixed, they were of mixed descent and, and often called a polluted religion. But, but, you know, in this, in this text, what I love is that there is this role reversal and there's such humility from the Samaritan to forget about the identity, to forget about the troubles between the two groups and to really exercise humility in this moment. And here's a quote about humility that I love. Humility is not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. In order to diversify God's kingdom, to be a good neighbor, think of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less, to pull other people in, to give people the good news, to share the gospel, to bring people in to what God is doing in your life and showing them another way to live. Bring people in, see humanity, not their identity. The next point that I think that we have to take to heart in being good neighbors is that it's not about who they are, but it's about who I am. It's not about who they are. It's about who I am. In Luke chapter 10, verse 36 through 37, it says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, the man replied, the one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Jesus is making the point that being a good neighbor is not about who the person is, but it's about you showing mercy. It's about you showing love. It's about you showing compassion. Being a good neighbor is not simply about whether or not the person is next to you, whether or not the person is someone that you're familiar with. Being a good neighbor starts with you, not with them. Being a good citizen of God's kingdom, being a citizen of God's kingdom that is that is uh, on the side of wanting to see God's kingdom diverse, wanting to see God's kingdom the way God sees it, is not about the other person, but it's about you and what you do. And that's what we have to consider when we're living and we're moving and we're going through life. We don't know the Samaritan's name. We don't know who he was. We don't know, you know, what he did for a living. We know his ethnicity and the fact that he was described as despised, but, but that's all we know. What we see in this text is that he, he went out of his comfort zone to be the person that God wants us to be 
and not worrying about who the individual was, not considering the person's identity, not considering, you know, how the person got there, why the person was down there. And that's what we do a lot of times when we see someone who is going through a rough patch of life. We always try to, you know, think to ourselves, why are they in this position? Why are they in this spot? And the reality is that even James tells us it's, it's one thing to say, God bless you. But if we do nothing about a person, circumstances and their physical condition, what good is it really? And so in this moment, we're being taught what it means to be a good neighbor through the actions of the individual that aren't based on who the person on the other side of the actions was, but who he was as a person. You can call him despised. You can say he's a polluted religion, but his actions were telling a different story in that moment. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, here's what it says. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Can I tell you that even with this text, it's not about what someone does to you first, but the text reads, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Not what they've done for you. It's not a, a, a reciprocation. It's not a payback. It is the reality that you have to act and do what you would expect or what you would want someone to do for you on the basis of simply being a good Samaritan, simply, simply being a person that God desires to get out of their comfort zone to do for others. We have to get out of this position of expecting people to be a certain type of people, expecting people to be a certain certain way before we help them, but actually stepping out of our comfort zone and seeing them for who they are, but acting based on who we are. This scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 that we just read, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Man, this summarizes all that Christ requires of us in relation to others. Treat them the way you want to be treated. Who is them? I, I think a lot of times in, in today, especially today's world and today's culture, we, we ask this question, who, who is them? Who, who are these people? It's those with racial differences. It's those with ethnic differences, lifestyle differences, gay, homosexual, transgender, hurting, broken, whoever they are. I get this question often at work from, from other Christians who are just wondering, like, how do I navigate life? How do I navigate life when things are changing so much? Can I give you the simple response and the response that I give people all the time? It's very simple. What does the word of God say? What does the word of God say when it comes to you and how you treat other people? Going back to our text earlier today, love God and love people. It doesn't matter who they are, what they're into, what their lifestyle is. The reality is that our responsibility is to love people, love people where they are. It's not about who they are, but it's about who we are again. It's less about the object of love and more about the attitude of the one who is doing the loving. So it's more about your attitude when it comes to people. How are you treating people? How would you want to be treated if you were in that position? We have to take that same position when it comes to others. God does not expect our love for others to be based on how they treat us. 
It's not based on what someone else has done for me. It's not based on what someone else thinks of me. It is based on, you know, my expectation in spite of how someone might treat me. I love them the way I want them to love me. I love this quote from Jack Hayford that says, love does not consider the worth of its object, but simply responds to human need. I'll say that again. Love does not consider the worth of its object, but simply responds to human need. If we can get that and tuck that deep inside of our hearts, deep inside of our souls, that it's not about the object, but it's about responding to human need. I think there's so much human need in the world today. And whether they know it or not, the world is looking to the church and needs the church to respond in such a way that is going to display for people on the outside looking in that regardless of what you get into, regardless of what your lifestyle is, as the church, we are going to love you where you are, who you are, regardless. And we have to make that commitment as individuals as well. And so today what I want to do is I want to pray with you on this topic, on this topic of God's kingdom and what it means to diversify God's kingdom. I want to pray with you on that. I want to pray that you would go into your workplace, that you would go into the marketplace, that you would go, you know, in your neighborhood and that you would love people, not because of the fact that they are believers too, not because they, you know, have the same hairstyle or the same style overall as you, but you would love them and you would treat them the same way that God would treat them because they are a human, that we have that commonality. But simply the fact that they are human, we have a responsibility to love them as they are. So I want to pray for you um, over that today. Uh, I, I want you to have that sense of confidence that when you go into your workplace, you know, after watching this, when you go into these different places after watching this, that you have that confidence that regardless of who people are, I'm going to love them where they're at. And so let's pray together this morning. Lord, we just thank you for this word that you've given us today. We thank you for the person that's on the other side hearing this word, God. As we prayed earlier, God, I pray that we would not just hear this, but we would do it. We would be doers of your word. God, I pray over them now that they would go into the various places they're going to travel in, you know, over the next, you know, days of their life, God. And I pray that they would love people where they're at, God, that they would see them as people and they would be responding to human needs. God, I thank you that your word and your kingdom lets us know that it's not about who the person is, but it's about who we are as believers. And as believers, we have a responsibility. We have a burden to love people. So God, I pray that you would encourage your people right now that if, if, if they haven't done it before, if they're not used to it, if there's some trepidation, God, I pray over them now that you would give them the strength and you would give them the courage to step out of their comfort zone and love people where they are, not expecting them to be, you know, a certain type of Christian, not expecting them to be at a certain level, not expecting them to be further along than where they're at, but simply loving them and responding to their human needs. 
God, we thank you for this strength. We thank you for this encouragement. We thank you that we as believers can be the example that the world needs to see when it comes to how we treat one another. And so we thank you for that. I hope you enjoyed the message. And my prayer is that you will change your world as a result. If you're ever in the LA area, join us for one of our weekend gatherings. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Peace.